May I speak and may we all hear in the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, it's really good to be with you all this morning. Um, Jonathan asked me to give uh, my sermon a title and I'm guessing that's going because of the website maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe. In the bulletin, in the bulletin, great. Um, And it was Judgment Day. Will we really be saved? It is a bit clickbaity, so please excuse that. But I think it's a very real question that as Christians, we ask ourselves at least once in our lives, right? Some of us can be prone to some deep introspection. Uh, Not that it's bad. You know, the Christian life, uh, we should definitely be examining ourselves and we need to be open to the examination of the Holy Spirit too. But sometimes we focus so deeply on ourselves, we may accuse ourselves constantly, focusing on our shortfalls. Do I bear enough fruit? Have I repented enough? Do I really believe or have I just tricked myself into thinking so? Am I really saved? Will Jesus really welcome me? And this kind of constant questioning can, can paralyze us spiritually and, and practically. Or maybe it leads us to constantly trying to prove ourselves and prove our worth. But if we're persistently looking within and seeing our lack, then, then we, will, we will never find assurance, will we? And then it's a real question for our society, for our world too. People will say, oh, but I'm a good person, or she or he is a good person, so they'll be all right in whatever afterlife there is, won't they? Or you'll find people who think it's absolutely wild and even arrogant that Christians can say we can be sure of our salvation. So this morning, as we carry on through your series through the book of Romans, we come to chapter five, where Paul addresses this question. Can we actually be sure that on the last day, Jesus will save us? We know we're justified now before God, but there is still a judgment to come. And what will really happen then? Can I be sure he will welcome me? Paul's answer to this is yes. Yes, we can be sure. Not because of anything we have done or will do, but because of what Jesus has done. So let's explore his sure and certain yes together. In chapters one through four, he's already explained how humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. We can't rescue ourselves, not even by following the law. The more uh, more laws God gave to his people, uh, the more they disobeyed. Humanity just continued to rebel against God. 
but because of God's righteousness. He is moved through his own compassion and mercy and goodness to save us. And so he has rescued us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he could bring all peoples to himself and create this multi-ethnic family based on faith. And so when people believe in Jesus and follow him, they are given a new status with God. They are made right with him and given a new life and placed in a new family. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified through faith, since we have been declared righteous because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we now do have this amazing undeserved status before God and the results of it are incredible. The first we hear is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven, so now we have peace. And peace here, not just meaning the absence of hostility, but harmony and wholeness and completeness. Because of Jesus, our objective reality right now is that we are in right relationship with God. We used to be, our, we used to be his enemies. We set ourselves up like that. But because of Jesus, we can be his friends. And our relationship with him is whole. It's not broken or fractured as it used to be. And as so many of our relationships are, it is good. It is harmonious. It's whole. And this peace, as well as being for now, and something that we're called to bring and share in the here and now, is also a foretaste of what is to come. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when he comes again, we're told there will be no end to his kingdom and he will reign with greatness, bringing peace and justice and righteousness. And all things will be made new and all things will be made right, including our broken and fractured relationships with each other and, and with the earth. Secondly, we hear that we have been, because we have been justified, we have gained access through Jesus by faith into this grace in which we now stand. A lot of words there, isn't there? Access here, I think, is better translated maybe as introduction, maybe welcomed in. It's not our initiative, but it's God's welcoming. We didn't do anything to gain this access, but Jesus has welcomed us into his space, into his house. And we're not just occasionally welcomed, but we're given the right to approach God and stand in his presence continually. 
we are to live and move and ground ourselves in this position of being the beneficiaries of God's unmerited favour towards us in Jesus. And I know sometimes that we can feel far away from God, at least I can, and sometimes prayer is hard, at least it is for me, I'm sure maybe for some of you too. We do not always feel like we stand in this grace that Paul talks about. But we know our emotions can deceive us. And actually, just because prayer isn't always easy doesn't mean that there is something fundamentally wrong with the relationship. You know this, but it is always a good reminder that we mustn't use our feelings from one day to the next to define our reality with God. His is the work of justification and forgiveness. His is the work of reconciling us to himself. And he doesn't waver from one day to the next like we do. The third result of this new status with God we hear is that we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And again, such a lot is contained here in such a short verse. Paul tends to do that, doesn't he? Firstly, Paul uses the word boast. In chapter two, he actually he condemns the Jewish people who boast in the law. So what's the difference between Paul's boasting and theirs? And I think it's that Paul is aware and he acknowledges that there is nothing he has done to earn this grace. There's nothing he's done to earn God's favour. There's nothing he could do or work towards to make uh, himself right with God. He's not boasting in anything he's done as if he could match the glory of God. But he boasts in God's unmerited, undeserved love and grace shown to him and shown to us. It's all about Jesus and the confidence we have in him rather than the confidence we have in ourselves. And so Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And what is the hope of the glory of God? I wonder what comes to your mind. Like I said before, it feels like such a huge image and so much contained. Uh, and it felt difficult even trying to articulate it. I think partly because the glory of God or God's glory is used to mean just slightly different things throughout the Bible. But also because at the moment we do only see through a mirror dimly right. My words cannot express the full glory of God. I don't think our minds can necessarily even comprehend it either. We know that glory refers to God's intrinsic attributes or characteristics. He is intrinsically glorious in his nature, his majesty, his beauty and splendour. He is awesome in the true sense of the word and more. He is wholly other than us. 
He is the King of glory, the Lord of lords, and he reigns over all things. And we see his beauty, his majesty, his goodness displayed in creation. And especially, I've seen it, especially in this part of the world. Glory is used also to speak of his presence. We're told the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and also filled the tabernacle. And of course, the word glory is used to describe Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we hear, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in the book of Hebrews, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see God's glory in Jesus, is Jesus, his life, death and resurrection. And they show the majesty, the beauty, the splendor of God. We see his glory in his sacrificial love for the world. But we do only see in part. And so I think what Paul is saying is that we celebrate, we boast in the hope that one day we will see fully. One day we will stand fully in the presence of God with his majesty, his splendor, his beauty on full display. One day we will see Jesus face to face and we will live with him forever. And when that time comes, he will make all things new and we will become like him. One day we will become fully the true image bearers that he created us to be and we will walk in his light for the rest of our days. Paul carries on to say, not only do we boast in the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. Sufferings, he say, produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, when he's saying we glory or rejoice in our sufferings, I don't think Paul is encouraging us to be masochists. We we don't rejoice in suffering for suffering's sake. Neither are we to seek it out. Uh, We're not enjoying suffering. But neither is this stoicism where we rejoice despite our suffering. We're not just to put on a brave face and tell everyone, oh, it doesn't matter. We're not to harden our hearts and not let it affect us. I think this would lead us to us being very uncompassionate. And that's not what we see Jesus doing, is it? He weeps with those who weep. His heart is grieved. He mourns over Jerusalem. And in the garden of Gethsemane, He was filled with sorrow and trouble. 
he feels it. He feels the suffering. He really did suffer with us, for us. And I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are given a really distinctive way to travel through sufferings and hardships. One that the world, that our communities need to see and experience. We will suffer. We know this, I don't need to tell you that. (laughs) We will experience pressure in life, maybe face hostility from following Jesus. We will suffer grief and be downcast. We might walk through the fire, the valley of the shadow of death, but but we're not destroyed by it. Affected, yes, but not destroyed. And we're not called to come out of that bitter either. Because we know that God walks through it with us and we rejoice in that. We rejoice that God is faithful. And we know this isn't how the world should be. But we also know our hope is that one day it will be how it ought to be. And so Paul says that this suffering that we go through, that we travel through, produces perseverance in us. We literally have to go through it, right? And it's this endurance that produces character. Character here meaning a quality in a person that can only be produced through testing and passing the test. And I'm sure we've all met those people. I've had the joy of meeting so many people like that in my job who are filled with uh, contentment and peace and have characters of integrity. And when you sit and listen to their life story and you think, oh my goodness, how did you get through that? They've been through so much and yet are so secure in the love of God and are so sure of their future with Jesus. So going through testing, we do, we experience God's faithfulness and experiencing God's faithfulness produces hope, right? A firm and secure hope. He uses the pressures the grief, the opposition we face for his own good purpose, to transform us into who we were made to be. Just as we hear, he also gives us his spirit through who he has poured out his love into our hearts. And so that's one of the reasons that we can be sure and secure in our hope because we experience God's love daily through the Holy Spirit. And then added to this in verse six through to eight, we hear of the objective historical demonstration of God's love for us in the cross of Jesus. Paul here paints really ugly, let's be honest, but true picture of us. He says we were powerless, 
We had no ability to save ourselves. It says we were ungodly and sinners. And in verse 10, we hear that we were his enemies. So instead of loving God with our whole being, we rebelled against him. We harbored hostility towards him and chose to serve ourselves instead of him and others. And instead of working towards the flourishing of people and the rest of creation, we worked to destroy. This is humanity. Uh, This is our state, Paul says. Our state without Jesus. He says very rarely would someone die for a righteous person. And I think um, he's meaning righteous here. um, Kind of referring to a righteousness as pretty clinical and maybe unappealing as well. Maybe like that of the Pharisees or religious leaders of the day. He does say someone, someone might die for a good person. But the fact is, we were neither righteous nor good, were we? And yet Christ died for us. God doesn't repay our evil with evil. Instead, he sacrifices himself for us, taking our punishment, our ungodliness, our rebellion on the cross. God's love is like, is unlike any other love. He intervened at just the right time we hear so that he could bring us back to himself and make for himself a people who will live and be just as we were created to. And he's done this and then also continues to pour his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is our reality. This is, what, uh, this is the truth of what Christ has done for you and is doing in you, Paul says. And so if all of this is true, if all of this is our present reality, then how much more will God save you? Will he save you from his wrath through Jesus? How much more will you be saved through his life? Paul here is he's using the word save, I think, in a bit of a different way than from what we often use it. Um, he sees our current state as being justified and reconciled. But then he's using saved to mean something that will happen in the future. So if God has done all of this, all of this incredible, incomprehensible work, the work of justification and reconciliation for us sinners, for us his enemies, if he's made us his friends and brought us into a right relationship with him, if we have peace with him now, why would we think he wouldn't save us, uh, his friends, on the last day? We will still be judged. But why would we think he would pour out his wrath on us? We are covered in the blood of Jesus. We have been bought with the most costly price. So basically, Paul's saying, if God has done this extremely hard work, 
Why do we think he wouldn't do the relatively easier work? Why wouldn't we think he wouldn't complete the work he started? And so it's on these grounds uh, of what God has done for us in Jesus that we can now share in his life and also be assured, assured of our salvation, the resurrection of the dead and eternal life with him when he comes again to judge, to judge the living and the dead. And so having the assurance of this hope, And knowing our present reality with God means that we can live lives of rejoicing even in our suffering because we are sure of our hope. We can live lives which feel the deep grief for ourselves and others because we are sure of our hope. We can live lives of service Heard in our gospel reading, freely you have received, freely give. We can live lives which actually choose the harder work, which may not always make our lives easier or more convenient, but the work that is worthwhile, which brings heaven to earth, of blessing communities, working for the flourishing of others, and sharing this incredible news that we can be right with God and are welcomed into his presence. So yes, Paul says, we can. We can be sure of our salvation because Jesus has justified us. He has reconciled us to himself through the extravagant and glorious love shown to us through his death and resurrection. And also because we experience the continuous love that is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are welcomed into your presence. We thank you that you have have given us peace with you that we can be in right relationship with you. We thank you that that is our reality. And we thank you that we can be sure of our salvation. In the end, you will welcome us as you welcome us now. And would you help us to, to share that good news with others? Amen.